Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee, and it is my privilege to welcome you both in person and over our live stream this morning. One of the things I want to share before we enter into worship service this morning is some of our announcements, and you can tell that we are incrementally coming out of this challenging year of pandemic. And here's another reason why. Something else is being introduced into the life of our church. See, we've gone from being completely shut down to a couple services, all the mask only, all of that. You know what's being introduced this morning? Our friendship register. So if you are on the end of... Now, here comes my old-school Presbyterianism. I'm going to say a pew, but it's a chair. If you're at the end of the chair, you have a red pad before you. You want to pick that up and do this? And this is for everyone. We don't single anyone out here. So if you are... I like to word it this way. If you are breathing, we invite you to do this. Okay? We want to know who's here. And a major part of that is one of our major goals. If you remember our vision to love God, love one another... We want to build friendships with you. And so we would invite you to sign the register, pass it down to your friend. When it gets down to the end of the aisle, then just pass it back, and that way we'll all know who's here. And it gives us the opportunity, if there is a need or something, we can contact you, you can contact us, and we can go from there. Another reason this is a very, uh, I'll call it a bittersweet day, It is sad, but exciting at the same time. We're saying goodbye. So long. I'm not sure the best. I could start singing Sound of Music anytime soon, you know, the way they they do that. But today is the uh, retirement and farewell luncheon for Marion and Ginger Clark. And so after, absolutely. So after uh, the service today, what we want to do is make our way, and everyone is invited, make your way out to the pavilion for our lunch and our farewell ceremony. What you want to do is the first stop you want to make, there's kind of a a pad, a a guest book, a friendship pad or whatever. Sign that so that Marion and Ginger can know all that we're here and do that, and then make your way down to the pavilion where there'll be I'll call it food, fellowship, and fun. How does that sound? But everyone is invited for that. Now I would like to invite Robert Van Delden. Robert, where are you? To come on up and say a few words. Gee, I've got a large crowd to talk to. First of all, I'd like to say something about Marion, is that today is a, tomorrow is a holiday and Tuesday is a regular weekday. I would advise you to get up early and get in line at 8 o'clock to go to the unemployment office to start collecting. <laughs> Marion, you've been great to me and to Diane for these last several years, and um, your faithfulness of visiting, you and Ginger, have been very much appreciated. You only can be described by one word, glue. 
You've been the glue that held this church together for the last few years. I appreciate everything you've done. Now that you're going to retire and go to Texas and eventually settle there, a few weeks back when I was here, you talked about stature. And, um, and Jeff. And uh, when you get out to Texas, the first thing you should do is go to one of the stores that sells those white big hats. <laughs> then you should go to the shoe store and buy cowboy boots. You can have soles put on them. They used to call them elevator shoes. <laughs> and I think you'll come back here and visit us, but there's only one stipulation, that you walk through the door with that cowboy hat on and those boots, because you'll be about 5'11", 5'11 and a half by then. I want to say to the congregation, this is a building, but the church is you, it's the family. And for the last two years, my wife has been suffering uh, with extreme Alzheimer's. The church has come across with delivering food. The person I want to thank is Jan Curtis for organizing all this over this last few years. And it's been a joy. Uh, I also want to thank the people that have sent cards and calls and just stopped me on the street. And it was great coming back this morning to greet so many more people. Some of them have abandoned the ship and went to senior living. And, uh, but, uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, it's, uh, it's a gift uh, uh, that a church family is extremely important, and I found that out. Um, there's funny things that happen, too, and I, I said this recently, that uh, uh, Susan Porter um, called one day, and she said, I'm going to be bringing dinner on Thursday night. And I said, that's fine, but Susan, I'm getting tired of eating filet mignon every night. <laughs> so she came Thursday night, and she got there, and uh, she had a beautiful dinner with two beautiful steaks, filet mignon. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you all, and God bless this church. Thank you. Real briefly, just a couple of more announcements for things coming up next week. We will begin our officer nominations. So uh, from June 6th to June 27th, nomination forms along with the instructions will be in the narthex. And these are nominations for elder and deacon. Uh, please be in prayer and even read through 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 that gives us the biblical instructions for the qualifications for elder and deacon. And then also next Lord's Day, we'll be privileged and blessed to have David and Aaron Purvis, who are our MTW missionaries, and they will be with us sharing during the uh, worship service, and they'll also have a display out in the narthex, and so we are looking forward to greeting and hearing from them as well. So those are some of the things that are going on in the life of the church. We do know that God is amongst us, and we're here to worship him. We're grateful for Nancy King being with us this morning. And as the prelude is, prepare, is played, let's prepare our hearts for worship.
Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 72, verses 18 through 19. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Father, we invoke your presence to join with us this morning as you have called us to worship you. May you fill us with your presence, your power, and your glory this morning. Enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Grant us your spirit to lead us into your presence, to change us. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Now may you stand, and as we sing together, blessing and honor and glory and power. confession of faith this morning comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, questions 57 and 58, and they are on the theme of the resurrection. And this to me is so encouraging because our ultimate hope is in the resurrection. Our ultimate hope is that death does not have the final word, 
but resurrection and the kingship of Jesus has the final word over all of life. And so let's read responsively this confession of faith, asserting and acknowledging what it is that we believe. How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness such as no eye can see, no ear has heard, no human heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise Let us stand and sing together, O great God.
have the tremendous privilege of going before God's throne of grace to come before him and express our hearts in prayer. Let us say the prayer our Savior taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, together, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we come before you praising you and asking that you would be glorified in this day. May everything we do set apart and hallow your name. We pray for the coming of your kingdom, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we recognize that it was your will that you sovereignly ordained to bring Marion and Ginger here to Lake Oconee almost seven years ago. We praise you for your kindness to us and the faithfulness that they have displayed. And as we send them off, we ask your richest blessing upon their lives, that you will keep them strong and keep them healthy, that you will continue to use them as they serve you. They may be serving you in some different ways, but we ask, Father, that your richest kindness, grace, and favor may be upon them. We as a church family are grateful for them, and we send them forth with love. We also, Father, on this day and on this weekend, recognize and remember Memorial Day. For all those who have sacrificed and given their lives in service to their country, we give you thanks. We honor them by thanking you for them, and we recognize their ultimate gift. And so, Lord, we remember what a, one of the greatest calls in the Christian life is to remember. And so we do just that. Father, we ask you for your will for us as a church as we move forward, for any who are hurting, who are suffering, who are afflicted. We pray, Father, that you would be with them, that you would comfort them. Any that are going through uncertain times, some physical, some emotional or spiritual, we ask, Father, that you would be with them. And we all need to seek forgiveness. Your word tells us if anyone would confess their sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we receive forgiveness, may we be a people of grace, giving and extending forgiveness to our debtors. And we pray for holiness of life, that you would lead us not into temptation, but we recognize that there is an evil one who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We seek to resist him, to be firm in the faith, to not be unaware of his schemes and pray for your protection. And we acknowledge that yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. And we offer this prayer to the glory and honor and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
we're going to, I believe, having a picnic afterwards, and I think I'll, I'll save um, remarks for that. Okay, my wife's telling me to, to speak closer to the mic. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not going to say too, too much right now. You, you know already um, how much Ginger and I love you. We love this family. God has greatly, richly blessed us by our years here. And uh, we just cannot be more thankful uh, to the Lord uh, for you. Well, uh, as you know, we are about to enter into uh, an unknown stage for us, and that's the stage of retirement that many of you already know about, so I got to observe a little bit about what it's like. We're looking forward to traveling, uh, to spending time with family. But this morning, for the, the last sermon, I want to express what is my, my true longing what it is that I really do look forward to, and, and it's become more increasingly so, and maybe, I, I hope indeed, you've actually picked it up in my preaching, at least over the past year. And so I invite you to turn with me, uh, either in your Bibles, to 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 9, or you'll see the scripture as an insert in the bulletin. It's behind the mission moments, and on the other side is the scripture passage. And we're just going to, as usual, just go right through this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, our interest, or my interest this morning in what Peter, the Apostle Peter who wrote this, is, is in that phrase of what he says we have been born again to. He says it is to a living hope. Now, to be a born again, well, that's an act of the Holy Spirit who is, regenerates us. Okay, we have been, it is, it is salvation, what we call salvation. We have been, been brought into a new life in Jesus Christ. Now that in itself is a cause of celebration. But Peter sees this not only just a special event of itself, but it is pointing to something else. This is not the culmination of blessings. It is the beginning of a new life that is filled with hope. And the next verse reveals what that hope is to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we have the hope of an inheritance. And that concept of inheritance was very important to the Jewish people. For them, it was the promised land of Canaan, the land that was promised to Abraham when they were delivered from Egypt. It was so that they could return to their inheritance that they might re-enter that land. And as time went on, the concept of inheritance, it deepened from having just a, a piece of property to having a share in the everlasting kingdom of God. And it is to this hope of this inheritance that we have been made born again. And continue with me in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded 
through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter, what he's doing is he's assuring us that our inheritance is safe and that we, by the way, will be kept safe so that we can receive it. Now I want you to note how he defines the inheritance as a salvation. Well, we might just ask, or didn't you just already say that we are already saved? Well, think of it this way. A friend purchases for you, gets you a ticket to go with them to a great event that you have longed to attend, but you despaired ever having gotten that ticket. And so your attendance is saved. And you can relish the thought of, of that salvation. You can take joy over it. But it is the event that you're going to. That is what will bring culmination to your hope and to your joy. And so that is the salvation, this kingdom being consummated. That is what we're all looking forward to. That's the salvation. And it will be revealed in all of its glory in the last time. All right, let's continue. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is noting here is that it is this sure hope of this inheritance of salvation, that's what spurs us on to endure the trials of life. Our hope puts our trials in perspective. It's like athletes who willingly will test their bodies, even punish their bodies so as to, to win the prize. In the same way, we're to see the trials of life, doing the same thing for our faith. Now, I want you to take note of what our prize consists of. It's praise, glory, and honor. I want you to let this sink in. For whom is the praise and the glory and honor? Is it Jesus? Well, surely he is going to come back in all of his glory, and he will receive all praise and honor. But what Peter is pointing out here is that what is what our faith will result for us. We, we will receive praise and glory and honor. And it will come from none other than God. God the Father will honor us. God the Son will praise us. I mean, it seems, doesn't it? I mean, it seems so wild a thought. And yet that is what scripture is holding out for us. Now let's finish up here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So right now we, we live by faith but it is a faith that is immersed in hope. We believe in Jesus. What do we believe? We believe that he truly died for our sins, that he rose again, that he has obtained for us our inheritance, the salvation of our souls. 
He's attained for us a salvation that will usher us into glory. And so that's why our faith is a joyful faith. That is why the joy is, as Peter's noting here, it's, it's inexpressible. It is filled itself with glory because it contains a vision of glory. And it's beyond, I mean, truly, it's beyond what we would ever even thought of hoping for. And so, yes, we love Jesus. We love him because he died for our sins. He took our punishment. But we love him for the promise he has made to us. He's going to keep us. He's going to keep our inheritance safe. And he's going to return again so that he can usher us into that glorious kingdom. Our passage, what it presents here is what I would call, well, three stirrings that, that, it, that Peter expresses throughout this passage. There is there's a sense of, of longing there's a sense of belonging, and then there's the sense of glory itself. So let's go through these three things. You know, Peter said that we have been born again to a living hope, and hope by definition is a longing. And we've been born again, we've been brought into a new life with a longing embedded in our spirit. We actually, those of you who went through, with me through the, uh, the book of Hebrews, we read about this, this longing in our study of the book of Hebrews, particularly there in chapter 11. And the author speaks specifically of this hope. He says that's what spurred on our spiritual parents, Abraham and Sarah. Let me read it to you. These all died in faith, not having received a thing's promise, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, that is our a better country, that is a heavenly one. And you and I, we long for that same city. And we might identify it as heaven. We're very likely to turn to the end of Revelation. And we long for that Jerusalem that's going to descend from heaven to earth. We want to walk on those streets of gold, don't we? We want to dwell in our Father's house. We want, to, we want that room that our Lord Jesus said that he is preparing for us. Now, I was thinking about this. For many of you, you're, you're very moving to this lake area. as like a parable of what's being expressed, of what our hope is about. You know, for many of you, you, you read about this place, you looked at pictures, came for visits, and a longing was stirred in you. This is, where, this is where you thought, I can come here, you know. I can find a measure of peace and, and pleasure here and, oh, that lake and all oh, those golf courses. I mean, they stirred in you a desire to be here. What's well, the same here with our hope for heaven? Now, we have that desire that we long for. But one thing I can say that motivates all of us is the troubles that we experience in life. Every trial, particularly every sin of our own, doesn't it stir in us a desire for that place where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain? There's a place 
for us. We want to say, is this got to be? We look for that place where there will be nothing to make us anxious, where we will not worry at all about the future. You know, our scripture says here again that we were born again to this longing. But what Peter really meant here was that when we're born again, we actually understand what that longing is. We know what we long for. It's the restoration of a new heaven and a new earth, and it will occur at the return of our Lord. But everyone, whether they understand it or not, when we are born in this life, we have this this longing embedded in us. As Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity into man's heart. Into man's heart. We cannot help but, but long for eternity. We want to live on in that place where, again, where we, we believe there's going to be peace, there's going to be pleasure, there's going to be happiness. You know, I'll, I'll hear that there are those who claim that they don't have any such desire, but I think what they simply mean is they can't, they can't conceive of it. Or their troubles are so great, all they want to do is just, you know, just lose consciousness, just be put to rest, let it be behind them. But it, truthfully, in all of us, there's this dissatisfaction for life as it is, and something that stirs us on that we want, we long for something more. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote of this desire. Indeed, it's what moved him and motivated him eventually to become a believer. And he writes about this in Mere Christianity. Let me note it to you. If I find in myself a desire which, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, and that does not prove that the universe is a fraud, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And if that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other never to mistake them for there's something else which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country. You know, this is the longing that is placed in all of us at birth. It is the longing that is clarified for us when we were born again to a new life. And it is the longing that will someday, will someday be fulfilled. So there's a sense of longing, and then there's a sense of belonging. You know, our passage, you know, has spoken to us of this inheritance that is to come. Well, if we have an inheritance, what does that mean? It means that right now that we are heirs. And if we are heirs, that means that we are children of our Father who bestows that inheritance. Let me read it to you from Galatians 4, 4 to 7. God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And of a son, then an heir through God. And he's applying this uh, to women as well as to men, because in those days, only the son received the full inheritance. He's saying, all of us, all of us who are in Christ, are adopted to receive that full inheritance. But we belong right now. We belong now to the family of God. As John says in 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. And so we might be a stranger or an alien in this world, but not to God and not to his family. Jesus is not ashamed to be called our brother. The spirit is not repelled to, to live within us, and it is the spirit who unites us to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. We belong in a family now. We have a community, not only locally, but even worldwide. And I know many of you, because you, you travel worldwide, you, you've experienced this phenomenon in your travels. You travel to another country, it's alien to you, you can't quite speak the language, you, you feel like a stranger, and then you meet. You meet another believer. And immediately, you feel that connection. You're with family. And there's another sense of belonging. And I can't think of a better way to introduce it than, than throw a scene in the, well, from the Lord of the Rings, okay? And this is a conversation between Sam and Frodo, and Sam is speaking. He says, well, that's a long tale, of course. It goes on past the happiness and into grief and beyond it. And the Silmaril went on and came to Arendelle, and why, sir, I never thought of that before. I mean, we've got, well, you've got some of the light of it in the star glass that the lady gave you. Why, to think of it, we're in the same tale still. It's going on. Don't the great tales never end? No, they never end as tales, said Frodo. But the people come in and go when their parts ended. You know, I belong to the story of God's work in history. Adam and Eve were my parents. Abraham and Sarah were my spiritual parents. Their God is my God, and their Messiah in which they placed their hope is my Messiah in which I place my hope. And all those characters we read of in the scriptures, they have played their role given to them in the same story. It began with creation, it continued through the fall, it moved to and through the redemption that was won by Christ, and it will conclude at his return. You and I are part of the same story. We do not live in a meaningless universe of chance occurrences. You know, I'm reading um, uh, about uh, John Steinbeck travels with Charlie, and he's making this comment of, Basically, we are in a, a saying this, we're in a chance universe. We just by chance came to being, and just by chance this happens, or by chance that happens. No. 
Nothing has been by chance. We were born in a, with a purpose, in a purposeful world, and we are headed to a definite ending. Now, we might not have our parts recorded, but we are nonetheless known individually by God, who we hope to hear someday say to us, what do we hear, want to hear him saying? Well done, good and faithful servant. And so we long for what is to come. We rejoice uh, in the family and the story to which we belong. But whether we are we're longing for the future or we are rejoicing in the present, both may be described with one word, and that is glory. There is glory in the present. One of my favorite uh, artist is Rich Mullins. He wrote this song, There is Such a Thing as Glory. And he says there are hints of it everywhere. And the hints are overwhelming. Its, it's scent is in the air. We, if we but have the eyes to see it, the ears to hear it. And you've had glimpses and sensations of glory. I know that you have. Again, particularly with your travels. There's been some majestic scene of, of creation that awed you. You heard music that just lifted you up to another realm. There was an experience of grace that humbled you. And sometimes, sometimes you just experience a sensation unaccounted for, something that filled you with this kind of a momentary longing or, or joy. Well, that's, that's glory. And so the glory we, we experience here but we also look to the, the glory of heaven, that glory still to come of the new heaven and earth. What do we long for? To behold the glory of God. Again, the scriptures speak of it. Let me read from Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. I mean, to behold the glory of God, I mean, is there a more glorious thought? And yet I, I want to leave you with one other glorious thought. And indeed, it's one that has made me pause, because, I mean, I remember when I first preached and, and looked at that passage in, in 1 Peter, I wondered if, if I was committing blasphemy because it seemed so incredible. But it's this, we ourselves will become filled with glory. Let me read to you my, maybe my favorite passage in, in all of, of literature, and this is again from C.S. Lewis, from The Weight of Glory. And this brings me to the other sense of glory. Glory is brightness, splendor, luminosity. We are to shine as the sun. We are to be given the morning star. And I think I begin to see what it means. In one way, of course, God has given us the morning star already. You can go and enjoy the gift on many fine mornings if you get up early enough. What more, you may ask, do we want? Ah, but we want so much more. Something the books on aesthetics take little notice of, but the poets and the mythologies know all about it. 
We do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. That is why we have peopled air and earth and water with gods and goddesses and nymphs and elves that, though we cannot, yet these projections can enjoy themselves, that beauty, grace, and power of which nature is the image. And that is why the poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into a human soul, but it can't. They tell us that beauty born of murmuring sound will pass into the human face, but it won't, or not yet. For if we take the imagery of Scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, that we may surmise that both the ancient myths and modern poetry, so false as history, may be very near the truth as prophecy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of mourning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. When human souls have become as perfect in voluntary obedience as the inanimate creation is in its lifeless obedience, then they will put on its glory, or rather the greater glory, of which nature is only the first sketch. I want you to recall what the, that purification of our present trials were to result in. There was praise, honor from our Lord, and that alone is incredulous, but to become glorified, to take on, to be given the the morning star, to to shine as Jesus said we would, to, to shine as the sun. That's our destiny. And it's it's all the more wondrous when we, we think of this, that when we reflect that it's not by any merit of our own, but purely by the mercy and the grace of God. You know, it's this destiny that moved the Apostle Paul to go through all the trials that he faced. He writes of this in 2 Corinthians 4 after listing all of his trials. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And this weight of glory, it comes to us and through the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, who himself left glory to become the sacrifice for us upon a cross, but then to rise from the dead and then to ascend back to glory and who promise that he will return in glory, to take us into glory. Is that not a wondrous thought? Is that something that should stir our hearts every day, whatever trials we go through, 
But let me add, if you have yet to turn to Christ as your Lord and Savior, know this. Know that it's not too late. Know that if you would only do so, just turn to him, then your destiny will be glory. We give you praise, our God, for this wondrous, this glorious thought that our Lord will not only return in glory, but he will take us into glory himself. We long for that day. Give us the eyes to, to, to behold around us your glory so that it continues to stir in us that hope, that hope of the glory of God that will come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Forgive the uh, the blessing. Um, I usually, I think last Sunday, I told everybody to let Jeff and uh, Evie get to the pavilion. 
Chindra, we're, we're not ignoring you, but we're going to rush out. We're going to head to the pavilion because we want to be in line first for the, uh, for the picnic. Okay. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.